What's going on, family? This is Jordan Rice, uh, pastor at Renaissance Church. Uh, we had some technical difficulties last Sunday in recording the message. So instead of getting the live audio version from church on Sunday, I am in the booth, in the studio, uh, recording uh, this message on my iPhone. So uh, you won't get the live version, but the teaching is going to be the exact same. Uh, the scripture that we went over is uh, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20 uh, in the NIV version. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or, live or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good to, of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Uh, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, when I was about eight years old, uh, one Halloween, my brother and I hit the streets pretty hard trick-or-treating. Uh, and it must have been on sale that year because everybody was loading us up pretty crazy with now and laters. Um, now and laters, the candy, uh, you might pronounce it now laters uh, as one word. Uh, but every single house, they were loading us up um, to the T. And if I tried to eat that candy right now, I'd probably rip my teeth out. But back then, we ate so many uh, pieces of now and laters that the next day, we were sick to our stomachs. And we mixed, we actually missed school the next day because we were just vomiting up all that waxy, sugary candy. Um, and the craziest thing about eating all those candies and, and being so sick that next morning was I woke up knowing that the only reason I was sick wasn't because, you know, I got the flu and somebody gave it to me uh, or like a, I didn't have a hereditary issue that I couldn't have prevented. But I knew that I was vomiting and I was throwing up only because of my overindulgence. Now, I didn't know when to stop. I didn't know when enough was enough, and I paid the price for it. I just wasn't content with having some candy. I wasn't cool with having a pack or two packs. I wanted it all, and I wanted it all immediately. Now, to an eight-year-old, it's never enough candy. Now, I don't think there's too many of you listening uh, that will go out and eat candy until you vomit. But I am willing to wager that there are some other appetites that we have that left unchecked and undealt with will put us in danger of always consuming but never having enough in the process. See, we have things in our minds that we think will make us happy, and there's still something inside of us that makes us feel like it's never enough. Culturally, we don't have a very good idea of happiness. A lot of people imagine that happiness is external, and although there's an element of satisfaction in getting good things, we can be lured into believing uh, this is the only way. Now, today we're talking about a pretty unpopular word, especially in our society, contentment. Now, let me reread the portion of scripture uh, that we're going to focus on today, and it's verses 10 through 12, uh, specifically uh, 11 through 12, actually. 
It says, I am not saying this because I'm in need. And this is Paul talking. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. But here's the part. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, this guy, Paul, that we're reading from is an OG in Christianity. Uh, and for the people listening that don't know what an OG is, it means he's the original gangster. He is one of the originators uh, of Christianity. And besides Jesus himself, Paul is one of the most influential figures uh, that you'll see in Christianity. And a little bit about his life, uh, he was so anti-Christianity at first uh, that uh, he literally was having people killed who followed Jesus. And then uh, he had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, um, and he did a complete 180, and his mission switched uh, from killing Christians to preaching Christianity to anybody that would listen. And he started churches all over the place. Uh, and this one scripture uh, that we just read is an epistle, and it's a letter from Paul to one of the churches that he started. And he's not writing from the best environment. Uh, this one is hot off the press from prison. And he says something that's remarkable, that he's learned the secret of being content in every single situation, whether he's surrounded by crowds of people cheering his name or whether he's in prison. Now, before we get any deeper, I want to define what contentment is. Uh, the word contentment that Paul uh, uses here in the Greek is a word from um, autarkia. Um, and it basically means to be full or to be satiated. Uh, it's like when you go out and you eat a really, really great meal, uh, not too much so that you hate yourself and regret it the next day, but just enough of the most delicious meal you've ever had. And what do you want to do after a great meal? Does anybody want to get up and go for a run or take a long drive? Do you want to get up and run some errands or clean your house? Listen, I can't speak for you, but as soon as I, as soon as I eat a great meal, I just want to lay down somewhere. You know that feeling when you just want to chill, right? And that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, he's not talking about physical uh, fullness. He's talking about a soul, full, soul fullness that chills you out. And that's what archaeo means. Uh, and, it, and it basically means that you're satisfied uh, with nothing on the outside. And it means uh, not needing or um, not having desires that control you. And basically what we're talking about today is a fullness in your soul that makes your soul rested. That you're not too busy mentally, uh, that you're not always thinking about things that you haven't accomplished yet or that you really want to accomplish. That you're not always thinking about the things that you want and don't have, but that there's an inner fullness that calms you down and keeps you at peace. How would you uh, describe your life right now? Could you say that no matter what, uh, no matter what your circumstances, whether you're making it rain or unable to pay your rent, uh, whether you have the job, the relationship or anything else in your life that you want, that no matter what, you have learned the secret to be content. Now, to be perfectly honest, uh, I'll say from the outset that I am not an authority on this. Um, and, I, and I realize uh, my, my disadvantage in this case. Uh, but I think what we're going to learn from Scripture today uh, is something that's going to really help all of us. Because I want that for me, and I want that for you. I, I want to learn that secret of contentment, and I want you to learn that, that secret of contentment. And here's a, a pretty quick definition of what we'll be talking about all day today. If you're taking notes, um, uh, pull out your, your, your phone if you're on the train listening to this. If you're, if you're taking notes, write this down right here. Contentment is not about having more. It's about learning to trust God with what you have. The secret of contentment, contentment that Paul talks about is not having more. It's trusting God with what you have. Now, I want to be sensitive to a, very, to, to a few things and also be very clear. 
What we're talking about today is not laziness or, or not having ambition. Paul, the author of the scripture we're going to read that we've been going through in Philippians, was one of the most ambitious people this world has ever known. And that's a good God-given thing. And there are some really good things that some of you want, and I hope and pray that you get them. Right? There's some people in here, uh, some people listening that really want a good job or to make more money to support their family. And that's a great goal, and I hope you find it. There are people listening that really want to find a sense of purpose and calling with your life, and you're tired of not feeling like your life really matters. Listen, I hope you find it. There are couples listening that have suffered through miscarriages, and you want to be able to have a child. And listen, I pray that God will allow you to have all the healthy babies you can squeeze into a two-bedroom apartment. And there are men and women that want to be married one day, and I pray that the man or woman of your dreams is going to show up next to you on the subway or at your job or your school, and you're going to ride off into the sunset together down 125th Street. Listen, we are not talking about complacency or giving up on your good, God-given dreams. What we are talking about is what your life looks like when that job or that status or that financial situation or that relationship or family isn't what you've hoped for. And that in these moments, you would have an inner quietness, an inner fullness, an inner source that allows you to be content, full, and happy, regardless of what you have or don't have. And it's hard for us, and it's hard for, for me. Because there's, our, there's one thing, and our appetites only know one word, more. There's something inside of us uh, that doesn't turn off, and we're always plotting what's next, looking at what we don't have or what we haven't done. And let me step up my soap, step off my soapbox for a second and break down how this works in my life. Now, in the, in the church world, for the seven of you interested in what pastors talking about, uh, talk about, it's, it's dominated by numbers. How many people came? How many people are getting baptized? And listen, that's good stuff, right? I believe that God likes to see churches thrive. Um, but I remember what it felt like for me when we were just starting out with 10 people in my living room. And I would think, man, if we had 50 people to be part of this, I bet it would feel amazing. And then once we hit 50, I was like, yo, if we can hit 100 people, right, 100 people, then I would be through the roof happy. And we hit 100. And I thought, yo, if we hit 150 or 200 people, I would be the happiest man in America. And we did. And one of my friends uh, who also started church asked me, he said, hey, man, it must feel amazing to, to, for you guys to be doing this. And I shrugged my shoulders and told him, hey, actually, not really, man. I feel the exact same way I did when we started with 10 people in our living room. Charles Spurgeon, an old preacher, once said it like this. Hey, you say, if I had a little bit more, I would be satisfied. But you make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied even if it were doubled. Listen, I haven't learned Paul's secret of contentment just yet, but I I want that for me and I want that for you. Because, listen, contentment is not about having more. I've lived through this. I'm living proof. Contentment is not about having more. It's about trusting God with what you have. So I want to talk about what's underneath our discontentment. What's causing it? What's causing that feeling or that sense to consistently arise in your life and your heart? What's underneath our discontentment? And then how are we going to nurture a really good heart of contentment? How do we learn the secret of being content in and every circumstance? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today. Uh, there's a couple quick things, though. Uh, I, I don't expect that by the time you're done listening to this, uh, you're going to go out and find perfect peace and perfect contentment. And that's, that's unrealistic. And that shouldn't be a goal for you today. Uh, but I do want us to push the ball down the field a little bit if I'm allowed to make a football reference. 
right? Um, I, I want us to move, take a step further in that direction to learning this secret of contentment. Uh, one of the things that you can just even pretty easily take out of that scripture is Paul says, listen, I have learned to be content, right? Uh, I remember growing up playing basketball and, you know, as a, as a kid that was always short, I always had to play point guard. And uh, as any kid was, uh, when you're playing basketball, you have a dominant hand and you have a weak hand. Uh, I was a right-handed kid, so my right hand was very strong, and I could dribble with my right hand, but I couldn't dribble with my left. And I knew that in order for me to be good, I was going to have to learn how to dribble with my left hand. And just because I wasn't naturally gifted with it didn't mean that I couldn't take it as an excuse and not do it or uh, be uh, offended or dismayed by the fact that I couldn't do it. But I had to learn how to dribble with my left hand, something that was a weakness for me uh, that I kept at it and I kept doing it over and over and over again. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, I had to learn how to be content. It didn't just happen one day. It didn't just appear out of thin air. It didn't. I wasn't born naturally a content person. I wasn't. uh, I don't have the DNA makeup of somebody who's naturally content. Hey, I had to learn this and, and I want us to learn this, too. And in order for us to learn contentment, there's four realities that we're going to have to confront. Four realities that we're going to have to confront. Uh, And the first reality, if you're taking notes, is this, that we live in a messed up world. Reality number one, we live in a messed up world. Now, that might be obvious to you. Uh, You can't turn on the news or on Twitter without seeing this. Uh, Our world is full of disease, sickness, violence, bombings, um, Patriots fans. Everywhere you turn, you see somewhere, someplace that this world is broken and messed up. And listen, some of that messed upness, some of that brokenness will affect you and me. And because this world is messed up, you and I need to have realistic expectations of how our lives will go. See, a lot of our discontentment is wrapped up in the unrealistic expectations uh, shaped by advertisers uh, that buying this or that or having something will make our lives complete. And listen, that's a lie. This world is messed up. See, Christians believe a lot of crazy things. And one of the things that we Christians believe is that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore all things. And there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain. But listen, that day is not today. And this world is messed up. And if we're looking for this world to to, to give us everything we need to make us happy, we are going to be consistently upset. We're going to be consistently discontent because this world cannot give give us that because this world is broken. In the same way that a broken canning machine or vending machine cannot give you, cannot dispense certain things, this world cannot dispense to us everything that our hearts need to feel content. And listen, contentment is not about having more because this world lacks the ability to give us everything we need. Contentment is about trusting God with what we have. Now, the second reality that we have to learn to embrace is that not only is our world messed up, but you and I are messed up. Second reality is we are messed up people. You and I are not perfect. Uh, We carry inside of us a deep problem called sin. Now, I know that uh, word sin is is pretty offensive, especially if you're new to church and you're new to this whole Jesus thing. Uh, You probably heard it. uh, You probably seen it on protest signs, and it it probably might rub you the wrong way a, a little bit. And listen, I don't want us to get lost and caught up in the word, but you and I basically sin means missing the mark, right? It means missing the mark. Now, have you ever wondered why you ever you can't ever seem to just get it all perfectly wrapped together? Why can't you just do it all right all the time? See, it's not our circumstances. 
It's who we are. Now, I don't know if you've ever run next to someone uh, or been near someone that is a born runner, somebody that is like, you know, a legitimate marathoner, somebody who's in the Olympics or something like that. Uh, years ago, my wife and I ran a half marathon and um, I should probably say that we jogged a half marathon. Um, whenever you're near a real runner, it's like you were just I was just jogging like at one mile an hour, basically. Uh, and the course we ran was in Queens and they had a uh, a lap that we had to do. So we did a course and the, the half marathon was basically like a loop done twice. So at about mile six, uh, I just heard these heavy footsteps behind us and people saying, excuse me. And we were getting lapped by these dudes and these men and women that were just amazing, amazing runners. And it was actually a beautiful thing to see somebody do something that they were born to do. Uh, somebody to do something that they had spent years crafting and perfecting and, and putting blood, sweat, and tears into it. Uh, and I couldn't get mad at them because those people were born runners. Um, but listen, this is what runners do. Runners run, right? Somebody who uh, paints. Painters paint. This is what they do. And the reason that you and I uh, mess up so much all the time and we can't ever seem to get it all right is not because we've made bad decisions. It's not uh, our circumstances. It's because we're sinners. Runners run, painters paint, and sinners sin. And that's what causes us to always be looking to this world to give us um, satisfaction and to, and to fulfill us. That sinfulness inside of me and you uh, causes me and you to live for nothing bigger than ourselves. And sin causes me to want to be the center of my life and to care about my own wants and desires above everything else. But listen, contentment is not about us feeding ourselves with more things to fulfill all of our desires. You're not going to get content that way. Contentment is about learning to trust God with what we have. Now, a lot of times if we have a hard time accepting difficulties and uh, believing um, and having a hard time believing that the difficulties, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between uh, comes from the hand of our, of our God and our Father, then sometimes our, our own hearts are consumed by our own self-centeredness. Now, this is something that each of us struggle with, you and me. Uh, every one of us uh, tends to react uh, different ways when we don't get what we want. Um, but at the core heart of it, uh, I think in order for us to embrace what it looks to be content, we have to realize that not only is this world messed up, but you know what? We're messed up also. And there's something inside of us that continues to pull towards wanting to consume. Uh, there's something inside of us that's going to continue to pull towards uh, consuming more and more and more things, thinking that this is going to make us right. Now, one of the best ways to probably describe this is like a wheel alignment. Right. If you've ever driven a car uh, that wheels are out of alignment, no matter what, you have to keep your hands on the wheel to steer it towards the center. Because if not, if you take your hands off the wheel for a second, it's going to pull right or left. And I think our hearts are like that, that our, our hearts uh, continue to pull right and left um, away from uh, what God has called us to and to consume more and more and more things. Now, the third one, which is uh, one of the favorite ones I have, the third reality that you and I are going to have to learn to deal with is that we are involved in spiritual warfare. Now, that sounds very deep, especially if you're new to church. And I, I promise you, we're not going <clears> to <throat> try to spook you out or anything like that. Uh, but Jesus himself talked about an enemy called Satan who wants to seduce us. 
And he talked about it over and over and over again. In the New Testament, for example, uh, Satan or the devil, the adversary is, is mentioned over 50 times. And Jesus himself mentioned specifically uh, Satan and the adversary time after time after time after time. And it's not what we think about, right? It's not the Halloween costume of somebody in you know, a red outfit with horns and a pitchfork in his hand. Um, but it's someone that wants to seduce us against from trusting God. A force, an enemy, an adversary trying to pull us away, trying to pull you away from trusting God that what God has given you is enough. Now, one of the things that he wants us to believe um, is that our well-being and our comfort and our happiness is dependent on you getting more. But listen, contentment is not about having more. It's about trusting God with what you have. The best way to, to look at this is in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, you get a glimpse of what we're talking about. Uh, you see the creation where God creates man and woman in his own image. And you see this beautiful picture emerge of what it looks like to walk with God, depend on God, and trust God in everything. And then at the end of um, in Genesis 2, you see God tell Adam and Eve, listen, you can have whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. That I've given you everything you could need, but the only thing you can't do is to eat from this one tree. Is one tree. Now, um, man was content at that point. And in, in Genesis 3, if you keep reading, uh, almost immediately after man is created, man is tempted away uh, from that posture of trusting God. And he starts to, and you see man tempted by the enemy. And the serpent comes with this one question. He says, hey, listen, did God really say that you can't eat from this fruit. And the man and the woman, you know, whether or not you believe in a literal Adam and Eve, that's not the point for here today. Uh, but listen, man is content and the enemy comes not to try to scare him, you know, with a pitchfork, but to make him doubt that what God has given him is enough. And he shows them the piece of fruit and says, listen, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be just like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And then it says in that scripture that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband and he ate. And then what happened? Listen, were they content with what they with what they just had? Of course not. Everything God gave them wasn't enough because, listen, it's never enough. And them eating the forbidden fruit wasn't enough either. And they did the one thing that they were told not to do uh, and infractured their relationship with God. And listen, God had given them everything. And in the beginning, the breakdown uh, between God and man, the break in the relationship, the fracture of the relationship had everything to do around the issue of trust and faith. It wasn't just disobedience. It wasn't just a to-do list that they didn't do enough of. Listen, the enemy convinced them that God was withholding something good from them and that God couldn't be trusted and that God didn't know what was best for them. Listen, ultimately, if we're going to learn what it means to be content, we're gonna to have to realize that we are involved in spiritual warfare and that uh, there's, a, there's a force, there's an enemy that's trying to make, convince us that the enemy is still whispering. He hasn't stopped whispering that, that's saying, listen, God doesn't really love you. Uh, so we have to do things to, to love ourselves. God doesn't really uh, have your best interest at hand. If he did, you would have this, this, and this. God can't be trusted with the direction of your life. God can't be trusted with the desires of your heart because if he was, if he was able to be trusted, then he wouldn't, then you would have all these different things. 
Listen, the enemy wants to convince us that God cannot be trusted and we need more things. But contentment is never found in having more. It's found in trusting God with what we have. Uh, There's this thing called collateral. Whenever you are going to buy a big purchase, a car, a house, uh, you have to put up collateral. Uh, In a a case of a house, you have to put your house on the line. There's something big that promises that you will pay for something. That's essentially what collateral is. And in Christianity, uh, we have this collateral called the gospel. And by the gospel, we don't mean a genre of music. We mean that God has given us something in advance uh, to show to us, to prove to us that he has our best interest at hand, that he can be trusted, that he has given us everything we need for life, for godliness, and for contentment. And that's Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul asked a question in Romans. He says, hey, will he not, talking about God, he says, will Will he not, um, having given us Christ, will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Essentially, what he's asking is this. Listen, isn't the, the collateral of Jesus Christ going to the cross on behalf of your sins and my sins, isn't that enough to prove to you that God has your best interest at hand? What else can God do outside of that to prove to you that he's with you and he's for you and he loves you? And even though there are good things that you might still want, listen, he can be trusted with exactly what you have. The hands that you want to entrust those things to are the hand, are nail-pierced hands, the hands of Jesus that have gone to the cross for you and for me. And the reason we can trust God is not because of the, what looks around us right now, but real contentment comes in just trusting that Jesus, the nail-pierced hands of Jesus with our lives, that he can be trusted. And listen, the, the fourth reality that we have to reckon with is, that, is this. It's that God's story is bigger than us. God's story is bigger than us, and all of human history is ordered so that God's, uh, God's story is revealed and his mercy and grace is poured out on a broken world. And we're a part of that story, but the story is a whole lot bigger than us. Acts 17 and 28 tells us that in him we live and move and have our being, and God determines the exact places where we would live the exact length of my life, and he orders our circumstances. And listen, he does all of this because we are a part of his story, not the other way around. There's a story about a kindergarten class and one of the kids uh, had a birthday and their mother came in and threw a huge party. Uh, And it was a huge party, cake, ice cream, balloons, decorations. And at one table were all these presents for this little kid wrapped in bright paper and colorful bows piled to the ceiling. And then there were party favors for each guest, a little bag with a party, you know, with a whistle and a hat and a few pieces of candy. And this one little boy sat in the corner. Little Johnny was pretty upset and he started to get really upset and started to cry. And little Johnny's mother walked over and told him, hey, little Johnny, listen, bro, this ain't your party. Now, life, this world is is not your party. It's not my party. It's not about you having more so you can feel more significant. It's not about you having more so you can feel more important. It's not about you feeling you having more so you can feel more secure. It's not about us. And now the entire history that God is trying to create, the entire story that God is trying to create uh, involves us, um, but it's not our story. And Paul learned this and he didn't learn this overnight. But he knew that even when God allowed him to be arrested and brought to trial and chained to a Roman guard, thrown in prison and denied his freedom so that the gospel, uh, the good news can go across the world. Listen, Paul learned that his circumstances, as painful as they were, were made up of God's awesome plan and wonderful story of grace. 
and we can learn this contentment secret uh, of not of having more, uh, but trusting God for what we have because God is always at work. God is always active and we can be trusted. Uh, I learned this. I heard this really great quote as I was getting ready for today, um, that contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal. Contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal. Listen, the reason we can say that is we see this promise um, in verse 19 that God, uh, my God, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We have a promise um, fulfilled um, that God will meet all of our needs and our riches according to the according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. Listen, there's always going to be something more that we can want. And in order for us to learn this tension, this, the secret of contentment, we're going to have to learn how to manage this tension a little bit better. And Paul gives us a declaration that I think we could rehearse in our minds. And we can say in that moment, in that meantime, between time, before uh, we get the things that we've been praying to God for or whatever the circumstance may be, Paul is saying this, since it's all about Jesus, since it's all about his story, he says, I can do all things through him that gives me strength. I can't, he can, but he can through me. I can't do it, he can, and he can do it through me. And my challenge to you and my challenge to myself is that we would wake up every single morning uh, knowing that we can't do it, uh, but he can, and he can do it through us. And we would be encouraged and strengthened by the gospel. Uh, and we would challenge ourselves in ways that we don't even really believe the gospel. When we're believing that God doesn't have our best interest for us. And we're believing that God is withholding stuff from us. Or we're believing uh, wrong things about his nature and his character. But listen, God will give us all, he will meet all of our needs. And we have that promise of the collateral of the gospel to back that up. Let me pray for us as we finish up today. Father, uh, man, help us to learn what it means to be content in you. Help us to learn that secret of contentment. Help us to learn uh, to trust you, uh, God, not needing more, uh, not that we don't want more stuff and good things to happen in our lives, but Father, we would trust you exactly where we are, uh, God, that you have our best interests at hand, that you love us and you're for us, that you're actively working in our lives. Father, grace us with your presence. Help us to learn more and more about who you are and to be content that you are our Father. And God, you are at work in our lives. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.